Hello, y'all, and welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. I am one of your hosts for this episode, Cody Stoffer, and today we got something a little bit different for you on this Friday. We got some more season previews, talking about last year's recap of some teams, graduating seniors, returning playmakers, and then a window of wins slash projection of how we think their upcoming season is going to go. So I'm going to open up this first part of the episode with the six teams from the last year's 2A Southwest. Talk about if they're in a new league, what that kind of looks like, new level of football, what that looks like, as well as recapping how they fared last year. And then following that, we're going to take a small break and Coach V is going to take us through a couple more previews as well. So we got a nice blend, a nice little mix for you guys here today. And then right back on Monday, Coach V will be back with some more. Then I'll be back next Wednesday with uh, 2A Flatirons and 3A Denver Prep. And then following that, we got another combined episode between Simon and I the week after. So thank you so much for tuning in. If you haven't already, you can always see whenever we post new episodes on any of our social medias. That's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook is where we post our episode covers, and you can listen to us anywhere you can find podcasts. But with all that being said, it's time to dive into the very first preview here, talking about the Montezuma Cortez Panthers here. And, you know, I I had to piece together this a little bit just through various box scores and whatnot because their stats were not fully filled out from last year but last year was a tale of two halves because to start the season Montezuma Cortez was three and three they had wins against Cedar Ridge an overtime win over Manitou Springs and finally a 15 point win over league opponent Pagosa Springs so you know they were off to a fairly good start but then in the to, to close out the season i should say they did go through an 0-3 skid losing to playoff teams alamosa bayfield and then losing a two-point game to salida which was definitely an upset in salida's favor right um last season they were really green on the offensive line they had a first year starter under center who has since graduated but looking ahead to this upcoming year they have a junior quarterback who could come back and they were very young in the backfield with only a single single senior I should say seeing carries through one game Uh, this team did not post a lot of stats but from the looks of it they will have a ton of juniors returning with also some freshman representation on both sides of the ball or I guess I should say sophomore representation in this upcoming season they were getting contributors from a handful of places that would explain things like this three game skid to end and just the very hot and cold nature of this montezuma cortez season right just because you have a lot of inexperience you're not able to score very consistently i mean you have such a wide range of points they're able to produce right you have a season high of 27 against pagosa and then you also have in their other wins 26 and 24 But other than that, I mean, anytime they scored, I mean, they scored 34 in this final game against Salida and still found a way to lose, despite that being the season high for their offense. That can be highly chalked up to inexperience on defense, being pretty young. I saw in a lot of this film that teams were able to get through their offensive line and create pressure pretty quickly. But with a lot of these key pieces on the offensive line returning, you could see some seriously drastic improvement in a pretty short amount of time for this Montezuma squad. But, you know, I still think that there are plenty of questions 
for this Montezuma Cortez squad. But, you know, improvement is wanted and the line on both sides should take a step forward like I was talking about this year, which could spell success combined with a schedule that has some intriguing games. You know, the last four games, they're extremely tough. You have Delta, that's a playoff team on the road. You got Bayfield, who was a playoff team last year on the road. Salida, I think, is a team that is much improved from last season. And then you have an Ignacio squad that I think is also solid. Um, but, you know, the first three games that they have, they have a potential of going undefeated, I think. They face Aztec, Rifle, and Kirtland Central. Kirtland was a team that struggled quite a bit last year. I don't think the Aztec score was as big of a gap as the score last year led on. And Rifle is losing a pretty absurd amount of talent. And they're in a they're in a tough spot compared to a lot of other teams in 2A with what they have to replace. Um, you know, I have a window of wins for these Panthers at one to three, but you know, if their guys up front can really be maulers, they could sniff a 500 season. Uh, the scenario where that happens is they probably go three and O to start these first few games. I don't know if they beat North Fork. I don't think they beat Delta, you know, so those are two losses. I don't know if they beat Ignacio, but you're looking at like, what is that? Three and three basically. And then depending on this, how the Salida and Bayfield games go, you can look at, you know, a four and four or something like that. And then if they schedule more games, obviously it depends on their quality of opponent. But I see a window of win, realistically, of one to three for Montezuma, just because there are some unproven players in very important spots. Continuing forward, we have one of my favorite mascots, logos, representations of a school in the entire state. I'm talking about the Alamosa Mean Moose with this very imposing moose. I talk about it every time, I feel like. But, you know, this was a playoff team last year and an interesting one that has some really capable athletes. You know, I saw them as a contender for the Southwest League and they did contend. They were second in league following only losing to Bayfield in league, but clocking most of the other teams in their league. And their only regular season losses were to, you know, regular season powerhouse TCA. That was their very first game. I didn't really see them winning that one and they did lose 38 to 13. But then they went on a four game tear here beating Monte Vista 32-14, La Junta 42-6, Manitou Springs 48-zil, Bogosa Springs 28-6 before getting blanked themselves, 28-0 to Bayfield, and then finishing with big wins against Montezuma Cortez and Salida to end league. They lost a surprising game to Lamar 28-21. I didn't really see that coming, and I'm not sure anyone who really did. Uh, that was a very interesting situation in a game that I don't think they should have lost uh, before they lost in the first round of the playoffs to a very good Delta squad. So all in all, I call it a successful season last year with Alamosa. This was a huge bounce back, finishing overall six and four, and you know being able to put points on the board while also sporting a solid defense. Now, they are losing some talent here. Uh, three of their top four receivers graduated taking about 900 yards and nine touchdowns with them. You also lose Dante Gonzalez Jr., who led this team with a half century of rushing yards and sniffed double-digit touchdowns. So you're losing quite a few touchdowns and quite a few yards here uh, between Dante and these other receivers, around 1,500 yards or so, and then nearly 20 touchdowns, right? So pretty tough production to replace on the offensive end. On the defensive end, you're losing the top two tacklers in Ramirez and Shawcroft who had 81 and 57 respectively, in addition to a tackle for loss in Shawcroft, collecting 10 tackles for loss on his own. 
Not only that, but he was the sack leader with four sacks. And then lastly, in the secondary, you're losing Evan Sowards and Dawson Honeycutt, who recorded 42% of the interceptions last year. So you're still getting back some interceptions, right? You're still getting back guys who made tackles and guys who made yards, but you are losing very solid contributors on the defensive end, which puts more of a focus on this offense. What does the offense have coming back for them? Well, I'm glad you asked. They have the KJ squared connection. You know, uh, this past season, this quarterback to wide receiver connection was responsible for nearly a thousand yards and was responsible for 12 touchdowns. You know, I think that Casey here at quarterback showed me some poise in the pocket looking through his film and also solid arm strength to make all the throws. But, you know, I, I can tell that he gets a little too greedy or his timing is a little bit off. And that was a cause for a lot of his interceptions. Just being a little too greedy, trying to squeeze it into a window that's maybe a little too small or just throwing it a hair too late or a hair too soon. And you can even see that on some of his big completions that he does throw it late and receivers have to slow down or come back to the ball sometimes. So working on timing is gonna go a long way for you know Casey here and an even longer way for Kay Jones who just has a solid frame, great footwork, he uses head nods to get open and he shows great verticality to you know reel in some passes so not only can he create separation but in jump ball situations he does have the athletic capability and physicality to make some really big catches and uh you know with him and casey's arm returning they can continue to produce for this offense i have very little doubt about that they obviously need a running back to step up in the run game since dante gonzalez did do so much for this run game to be more balanced but offensively i think that the pass game will continue to grow and show signs of growth even with all the graduating receivers additionally on the defensive side i want to take a look at some guys who would try and lighten the burden here you have brant jackson who at six foot four 190 pounds was third on the squad with 47 tackles as only a sophomore and found ways to make his presence felt in the pass game with three batted passes and a pick. So, you know, that height, he knows how to use it. He knows how to time the ball. And he also knows how to get into the backfield and, you know, just make plays all over the field. It's possible that he might even be bigger by the time this season starts. He could be a solid 200, 205 pounds at six foot four or six foot five, which would just make him an absolute menace on the 2A level. You also get second leading tackle for loss leader, Cody Lopez returning to the fold following a solid production last season. And then you also have Abram Bowden who recorded four sacks in only seven games and, you know, should look to team up with Brant to convert even more hurries into sacks. So, you know, despite losing a sack leader, despite losing a ton of tackles, they still have guys who got into the backfield, guys who batted passes, guys who had interceptions, right? So I think that the run defense can remain solid but I am curious on, you know, once they get past the really long arms of Brant Jackson, how is this secondary going to look, right? What differences are we going to see? Are Casey and Cade going to be asked to make big plays in the secondary for, you know, this defense to work? Or what's going to be the solution for the mean boost on the defensive end? But, you know, looking ahead to their schedule this year, I think it's very interesting. You have a you know, contest against 3A Pueblo Central. I think that's going to be a pretty tough draw to start with. 
but it balances out with a game against Gunnison right after. So I think that they'll probably go one and one before getting tested once again by TCA. On the flip side, they do have this game at home, which might help, but I, I think that TCA is a consistent contender on the 2A level. So if you do lose this game and you drop to one and two, it's not the worst thing. Um, but then heading down the rest of the schedule, I don't really see too many excuses for losses. I think that you should beat Pagosa Springs for a second year. You should beat La Hunza. You never should have lost to Lamar in the first place. So you better beat Lamar. You should beat Manitou Springs, even though by this point in the season, uh, by October 14th, Manitou will be a much better team than the start of the season. I think logarith logarithmically more so than a lot of other teams in football, just because of like the participation and when people can you know, kind of get it together, right? Um, but, you know, maybe they lose this game to Florence, I want to say. Florence is a really good squad. They have themselves a really good quarterback, and they are pretty deep in skill position almost every single year. So if you do lose this game to Florence, I don't, there's an excuse for that, but then I don't really think so with Woodland Park here. So say they lose to Pueblo Central, TCA, and Florence, that puts this squad at six and three which i think is a reasonable record for the mean moose and you know i think that led by their star quarterback and receiver they should be in the five to seven window of wins or wow um with a very realistic possibility of matching their six win regular season from last year uh their defense has to show me more against contenders and this quarterback has to play smarter before i recognize them as a true heavyweight into a football however i think that they are you know, still a solid squad for this upcoming season and one that will make the playoffs for the second year in a row. Speaking on one of Alamosa's opponents, I'm talking about Pagosa Springs. This is a team, you know, this pirate squad that slid from their league title in 2020 to a 2-7 record this past season uh, that saw wins against uh, Kirtland Central in New Mexico and a win against Salida, an eight-point win to be exact. But, you know, those two games may shake out different, as well as a handful of these other games, right? Uh, as far as graduating seniors, you are losing Will Acoin, uh, who graduates after posting 26 tackles, four for loss, and two sacks. And then you're also losing Tommy Barker, who led the team in interceptions this past season, and will be missed in a secondary, and was also a contributor in, you know, just the tackling game with 33 tackles himself. However, I am optimistic for these Pirates. I think that, you know, they were a very young team last year. Lots of sophomores were getting snaps, lots of underclassmen. And so this year, I think that they are bound for improvement with all the varsity experience that they have, as well as, you know, just a whole offseason to get it together, right? You have Colt Lewis coming back. Great contributor on special teams as a freshman, collecting 223 yards and on very minimal receptions, led the team in receiving yards right? So lots of yards coming from this very solid athlete in Colt Lewis, like I said, was only a freshman coming back as a sophomore looking to make an impact on the game. Gavin Lindahl was another underclassman last year that shined, leading this team with 712 rushing yards at six foot, 190 pounds. He's got a good frame and if he can keep his feet under him, you know, watching his film, he's not necessarily the most balanced guy, but he's very explosive and very powerful. He could be somebody who could get double digit touchdowns as a junior. Not to mention on the defensive side of the ball, you know, I talked about Will and Tommy graduating, but other than that, 10 of the 12 leading tacklers return. 
with plenty of underclassmen representation that includes, you know, leading tackler Harley Armillo, who posted over 50 tackles and four for loss, and then tied for the lead in tackles for loss. You have Gavin Lindahl, as well as Heath Fulbright, who returns to the fold following a five tackle for loss season, right? So you're getting a ton of tackles for loss coming back. You're getting leading tacklers back. You're getting a lot of juniors, incoming juniors, I should say, as well as, you know, incoming sophomores who are contributing and sophomores from last year who are contributing. So this team will continue to be a bit on the younger side, you know, but they were extremely young last year. And I think that they're going to be able to capitalize off of their youth a lot more this season. And as of the research that I did, and as of today, they have seven games scheduled at this moment in time. And so, you know, they open up the season on the road against Centauri before playing Florence on the road, then playing Alamosa at home, then two more road games against Delta and Kirtland Central before finishing, or at least what's left of their season, against Salida and Bayfield, right? And there's a wide window for this team with relatively unproven winnability, but lots of athletic upside. A lot of these young players, super athletic, very versatile, but are they going to be able to do every single thing at a high level or are they going to be able to do everything at a okay level is going to be a pretty big difference on this squad. Uh, you know, I definitely think that looking at the schedule, they could start this year 0-3 or 0-4. Uh, I'm not sure what the Centauri team is going to look like this next year. Uh, I'm going to be staying tuned for Coach V's episode on that. But, you know, they are the defending 1A state champions. I think that they could have held their own against a lot of 5A squads last year. Without Mason Clonch, we'll see, right? Uh, not to say that they won't have any returning talent. But they could lose a game here to Florence, to Alamosa, and to Delta. They could be in a 1-3 or 0-4 hole here. But following that, uh, they could cap a win in New Mexico... And I don't think that the last two games will necessarily be cakewalks. And of this six games or seven game schedule, I can see two and five or three and four uh, pretty realistically. And, you know, they're going to have to try and schedule their last few games very carefully if they want to eke out a winning record. Um, I think best, best, best case scenario for this team, depending on the other two games that they schedule, they could be five and four and maybe, maybe eke into the playoffs as a 16th seed. Uh, I think that's highly unlikely, but I think that whatever they show this year will be monumental to, you know, the progress that they want to see the year after that and put themselves in a position to compete for the 2A Southwest in the 2023 season. I think here in 2022, you leave with a three and four record, you get more wins than you did last year and you're playing more competitive football, that's fantastic. And that's a pirate squad that is going to be one on our radar the next year. As for the team who did win the 2A Southwest last year, I'm going to dive into the Bayfield Wolverines in Bayfield, Colorado. It's near-ish Durango, just for some context. And, you know, last year I projected this team to post-winning record in their preview and contend if not potentially win this 2A Southwest and that's exactly what they did with all the returning talent they had last year. You know they started off with a loss to San Juan out of uh, Utah but uh, I think that's not too bad considering that San Juan ended up winning their state championship on their level of football. So not the worst loss to have right to start the season with and one that didn't discourage me early on right. Um, they proceeded to win every single game during the rest of the regular season after that. 26-13 over Inglewood, 
46-25 over Aztec, 39-0 Salida, 28-0 Alamosa, and that was just to start their play in league. Then they had played a non-league game, kind of sandwiched in between those league games that they won 31-13 over La Junta before closing out league play with a 56-18 win over Montezuma Cortez and a 28-6 win over Pagosa Springs. And, you know, looking back, uh, initially Max Preps posted the wrong score here, or somebody uploaded the wrong score, I should say, uh, from these teams that said Bayfield won in the first round of the playoffs. And I was like, oh, hey, check that out. They won a playoff game. They unfortunately did not. They lost to Elizabeth in the very first round. But, you know, I think Isaac Ross is the a big player to talk about here who did graduate. This team is graduating a lot of seniors, which could be pretty unfortunate. But, you know, Isaac Ross, he threw for over 2,000 yards. He threw 19 touchdowns to six interceptions. That was super successful. But that... A lot of those interceptions kind of came in one game and came crashing down. In the Elizabeth playoff game, he had a historic meltdown, turning the ball over five times. But other than that, during the regular season, he was a very quality passer, somebody who I felt was pretty smart with the football during the regular season, but, you know, wasn't necessarily the most athletic guy. Not that he had to be, since in the backfield, you did have Kale Schaefer. Uh, he was a back whose film I dissected in the offseason, whose stout power will be missed in the backfield, that saw him average seven yards per carry. And, you know, his production both in and out of the backfield will be sorely missed as he was extremely opportunistic on receptions and was averaging 13 yards per catch on primarily screens and dump offs. So basically every time he caught the ball, he was worth a first down more or less. You're also losing the leading receiver in receptions, William Sullivan, who, you know, had 40 receptions and nearly reached 400 yards. You're also losing the leading touchdown receiver in James Mars, who caught five touchdowns. And then, you know, you also have Kobe Pryor, who was an All-State honorable mention lineman, who, you know, was a guard on this team for parts of the season and also defensively collected 80 tackles and eight for loss. Um, a lot of these same guys here who I talked about on offense were also contributors on defense, you know, between Ross, Pryor, and Schaefer, uh, they were the leading tacklers and Ross was second on the team in interceptions while Andrew Peacock was a senior and led the team in sacks. So they're losing six of their top 11 tacklers, including Ross, Pryor, and Schaefer, guys who were able to force turnovers, guys who were able to get into the backfield and disrupt offenses. And, you know, another thing, this isn't a graduating senior, but it is a departure and it is a notable loss and one that I think should worry Bayfield a little bit here. Underclassman Noah Martin, who was probably up next for quarterback, moved to Texas. So right now they have more questions than answers. Quarterback's the most important spot on the field. Isaac Ross was a huge reason that I was so high on this team, as well as Kale Schaefer. Not to say that they are without returning talent, but they are losing a quarterback that I think could have helped them maintain their spot in this league pretty easily with the talent that they do have. However, I think that the hill looks significantly steeper this upcoming year, and there's even taller tasks for those who are returning. You know, defensively, uh, Donovan Candelaria was fifth on the team as only a sophomore, but I mean, that's still a pretty big gap that he has to fill in those one through four spots. You are getting the leading yards receiver back in Nicholas Twett, who hopefully makes whoever's job is under center a little bit easier. And he was one of two leading receivers overall on this team. I think that arguably the biggest name and most talented name to return to this squad is Deegan Barnes. He was the leading tackler as, you know, somebody who wasn't a senior. So outside of that, 
He was a leading tackler. He was the leading rusher, the leading interceptor with five, leading kick and punt returner, and second leading receiver. That's what I was saying with one of the two leading yards receivers. Uh, his speed and agility were integral as an offensive weapon slash athlete on this squad. But we he will have to be so, so much more for this team to try and match the wins from last season. I think that there's a very real possibility that we see Deegan taking snaps and being just like one of those teams that just gets the ball in the hands of their best athlete and see what he can do with it uh, with Noah Martin's departure. I think that Deegan might see some pass opportunities as well as run just a lot of read options, jet sweeps, and stuff like that for this Bayfield squad that just has a question mark in my eyes at the quarterback position. Um, I do think that the quality of opponents from last year to this upcoming season has drastically improved. I mean, they face San Juan again to start the year, but you know, following that, they do have a game against Aztec on the road in New Mexico before facing Moffat County, one of the best two A schools and one that I talked about on another episode. Then they have Centauri, this Bloomfield squad in New Mexico. Um, that they're probably going to lose to because they were really solid last year. But then, luckily, in league, they have Montezuma Cortez and Salida. These games will be significantly closer than they were last year, and they'll actually have to significantly try. And I'll tell you about Salida here in a second before facing Delta, who is a team that I will talk about at the very end of this episode, or at the very end of this segment, I should say. And this squad is going to be a two-way contender. So you have that, and then finishing the season against Pagosa Springs. I think that to have any chance of going 500 or any chance to make the playoffs, they need to go 500 in these first, like, what is that? Two, four, five games, six games. Um, and, you know, their window of wins is wide, depending on how they could fill the shoes of their senior class and how much Deegan Barnes is asked. You know, he could carry this team to at least two wins, but they have to show me more to be on the high end and capture five. So window of wins between two to five. I see, I could see them starting off one and four before maybe going three and one in league and try and even out their chances there. Uh, that puts them at what? Four and five overall. Nine, yep, four and five through nine games. That's a tough sell to make the playoffs, especially in a league that I'm pretty sure will have Delta in it this year. So tougher season for sure, unless they have a revelation at the quarterback position. Like I said, losing Isaac Ross is one thing, but losing Noah Martins to, you know, transfer basically, or just family moving, that sucks pretty bad for, for this Bayfield squad. Now, this next team is a team that I was pretty harsh on last year. That's the Salida Spartans. I kind of ripped into them. And, you know, they moved from 3A to 2A in the 2020 to 2021 season. And, you know, saw more competition. Seeing their point differential go from minus 264 in just six games to minus 245 in nine games, right? So, while that's still not stats that you necessarily want to hear that is improvement that is improvement they won their first game since the 2019 season when they won a 36 to 34 thriller over montezuma cortez at the very end of the season that is the kind of high note that you want to end on especially for a team that has so many players coming back i also would like to note that their very narrow loss to manatee springs 
was, I'm pretty sure that that was on a literal Hail Mary. Um, but other than that, you know, they struggled with turnovers and defense this past season. I mean, look, one and eight, that's a tough sell. But, you know, fortunately for this defense, they are only graduating three of the top 12 tacklers. You're losing Braden Collins, who is second on the team with 83 tackles. But also what he was able to do in the secondary or in the pass game, I should say, and record three interceptions is going to be tough to replace on top of what he was able to do leading this team in rushing and receiving. So Braden Collins, big, big loss for this Salida Spartans team. But like I said, this defense is returning a lot of snaps. Uh, especially with Drew Johnson, who as a junior recorded 123 tackles and 11 for loss, which were both leading the team. And he was an all-state honorable mention and a gang of sophomores on this defense. Yeah, Clayton, Gentile, Edgington, Graf, who all recorded double-digit tackles and combined for plenty of tackles for loss. With another year under this belt, this Salida defense could really take a step forward. I genuinely believe that they have a lot of the tools and they showed enough promise, especially in this very, you know, in, in certain segments of games that they can come in clutch, right? Against this Montezuma Cortez team making opportunistic stops. On top of that, you know, I think that the majority of sacks on this squad were from sophomores and they also forced a lot of hurries. So with increased strength, speed and size, from sophomore to junior year, as with any program, any athlete, any player, these hurries could translate to even more sacks on defense. More sacks on defense means teams passing the ball more, means more interceptions, and you can play a little bit more aggressive. Who's going to get these interceptions? Well, incoming junior Daniel Edgington returns from a season that saw him log two interceptions and a fumble recovery while leading this team in kick return yards. He has solid frame, you know, his or solid speed, I should say. His frame is the thing that could, you know, kind of hold him back a little bit. But if he's able to get more interceptions, set up this offense with short fields, that is going to be the formula for Salida this year. Forcing a lot of sacks, getting some strip sacks as well, recovering fumbles, getting interceptions whenever the quarterback is getting bullied or pressured, and setting up this offense with very short fields. Uh, I look to junior quarterback, uh, Caven Lake, who has the wheels to rip off really long runs, but he's got to cut back on turnovers. He lost four fumbles last year, and he threw it to the wrong jersey an additional five times. So he was responsible for nine turnovers, but, you know, like I said, he has a year to figure it out, right? He's had a long offseason to figure it out, and I think that, you know, he'll be more properly utilized as a running quarterback uh, with the wheels that he has. And I think that that'll be nicely complemented by stout running back Christopher Graff, who is returning to the picture. And with what this team should be able to do defensively, with what they should be able to do in, you know, the run game, that should make the pass game improve drastically as well. Not to mention that Lake's second and third best targets in Dieselin and Ortiz return following seasons that saw them post 13 and 29 yards per reception respectively i think that having all of these key all these players returning in key spots is very important i do think that they might have some questions on the offensive line but i mean defensively this is a team that was allowing you know basically 36 points a game if they are to do better and with what they are returning, I think that they could cut that down to like maybe 22 points per game, which is still relatively a lot, 
but is way better than last year, right? And, you know, I think that in this very first game, they may have bit off a little bit more they can chew because this Buena Vista team is going to be a 1A contender. But, and, and make sure to listen to uh, Simon's episode from this most recent Monday, the 18th, in regards to that Buena Vista team. But, you know, following that, they have a chance to show how much of a gap they closed against a Woodland Park squad that throttled them last year. I expect this game to be significantly significantly closer, and even if they do start off 0-2, I do expect them to get a win against Rye. Uh, if the defense takes a step forward, I'm expecting, combined with a surprising leap on offense, this team could win five games. Uh, but more than likely, I think that this defense is capable of producing three to four wins. I think that they could get a win against Rye. I think that this game against Cole Ridge is a competitive one. And then I think that Montezuma Cortez is a team that they should probably beat for the second year in a row. I think that Pagosa Springs is going to be a very good game between both these two A Southwest teams. As far as, you know, both young teams with plenty of athletes. You're facing a Del Norte team that struggled on the 1A level last year. So I mean, one, two, and then between Zuma Cortez and Pagosa, three and a half wins, right? Uh, like I said, on the very high upside, you could win five. You beat Rye, you beat Del Norte, you beat Pagosa, you beat Montezuma, and then you beat Coleridge or Bayfield, which Bayfield, you know, they're taking a huge step back from last year. Their offense is not going to be the same. And if, you know, the Salida defense does what most teams who are constructed like the Salida defense do as far as class composition and athletes, this team could be looking at a, you know, five and four record, which would be phenomenal for this team that uh you know has been lacking winning record success these past couple years right um overall i'd say that their window of wins is three to five which is dramatically improved from last year i think that this team despite their record showed me everything that they need to show me ending on a win shows me that this program knows how to win they have a taste for victory and they want more of it right so the salida spartans after, you know, me calling you out quite a bit last year, not pulling any punches, I'm very proud of the steps that they took forward, and I'm very proud of this coaching staff for everything that they've done and the patience that they're showing. But now you really have to prove yourselves this year and show me that all of this, that well, what I'm seeing is true. What I'm seeing is true. Because if you turn in another 1-8 season, I'd say that that is a disappointment and, you know, a call to arms for potentially looking into a varied staff of some kind. And last but certainly not least for me on this segment, I'm going to be talking about the Delta Panthers. This is a team that's come up a handful of times. And, you know, looking back to last year, they were just very well balanced and they were capable of executing really well. I mean, they scored 407 points and only allowed 113. That's a formula for a winning record and an overall 9-2 record that saw them, you know, start off with two very dominant wins against Summit and Salida, 27-0, 49-0, before losing game to a 3A playoff team in Palisade, 28-10, and that was just right before they went undefeated for the rest of the regular season. 49-8, Montezuma Cortez, 63-0, Coleridge, 56-0, Aspen, 42-14, Basalt. This was another playoff team in 2A that was very solid. Very close 17-14 win over Moffat County to win their league, right? As they went 5-0 in their 2A West League last year. So much improved from 
from even two years ago, but winning that league was massive for this Delta team. Then they would take care of business against Rifle before facing Alamosa in the playoffs, beating them 45 to 14, and then losing to a very red hot university team out of Greeley that had one of our top five quarterbacks in the senior class last year. This was a fantastic year and a huge success when you consider how young they were at quarterback, but they weren't young at every position and they will be losing some depth and talent. I'm looking at leading rusher and thousand yard club tailback, Timothy Horn, who graduates following a six yard per carry season and 700 plus yard game performances. Just absolutely incredible uh, showing that he put on through those games. And, you know, I think something that will be missed as far as balance in this offense and you know he also had 11 touchdowns it was responsible for about 30 percent of rushing scores last season you also have hunter goff who while leading the team in receiving will be more missed on the defensive side of the ball i believe uh because he was the only 100 plus yard or 100 plus tackler on the team and he'll be departing as well as taking five turnovers by himself with Hunter, Horn, Butler, and Sandoval graduating, they will be losing four of their top six tacklers. And I think that they'll be taking steps back in the trenches as first team All-State lineman Gus Butler, who I mentioned was in the top six of tacklers, and Trayton Sandoval will both be graduating. And they had 92 combined tackles, right? So in the trenches, they're losing some depth. At linebacker, they're losing some depth. And then at running back slash wide receiver, they're losing some depth. So what is going to keep this Delta Panthers team afloat? Well, I'm glad you asked. And if you've been a fan of the podcast and you've been paying attention, you know about 2A 2021 newcomer of the year, Ty Reed, who scored 27 touchdowns as a freshman combined through the air and ground and already has a playoff win under his belt as a second year player as a sophomore player he's already known what it's like to win in a playoff game and what all that entails and what you have to do in order to maintain that level of success right so he has all of that going for him taking a look at his stats last year you know he definitely had a reduced role of some sort since scrimmage yards wise, he was only responsible for about 1300 total. And I think that those numbers will take dramatic increases. Didn't quite throw for a thousand yards last year. I think that's something that will happen more so this year. Didn't quite run for 500 yards this year. I think that that's something that's more likely to happen this year, especially following a season where he ran for 14 touchdowns on only 46 carries, right? So basically a third of the time that he was running with the ball, he was getting a touchdown. But that's not to say that all of these are really short gains. He had a long of 45 last year that was the third longest run on the entire team. And the other two longest runs will be returning. You have uh, Damian Gallegos, who's returning. You know, he didn't see a ton of carries last year, but he did have the longest, second longest run with 54. And you're also getting a sophomore in Houlette, who had the longest run last year with 58 yards. And those aren't even the best players in the backfield. You do have incoming junior Asai Carrillo, who recorded 387 yards, 6.3 yards per carry, and four touchdowns. I think that he's going to be tasked primarily with filling the hole that Timothy Thorne or Timothy Horn is leaving. And then, you know, in the receiving game, you have a lot of guys coming back. I mean, look, Carrillo caught 
passes. Gallegos caught passes. And Gavin Brew, Brewer caught passes as well. And then you also have Connor Workman. These guys combined for 665 of the 1,095 yards last year. So even with Goff graduating, you're getting plenty of guys who caught plenty of yards. All of these guys caught multiple touchdowns last year. And I think that this offense will continue to click maybe a little bit more air heavy, but not because they have to, but because that's where the talent is. I think that they'll also be able to run the ball very well. <clears throat> You're also getting leading sack artists from last year, Easton Byer, who returns from a season that saw him record six of the team's 15 sacks, and they will be returning another three and a half sacks from a variety of juniors. So they're getting the majority of their sacks back. They were a team that was above the national average in getting to the quarterback. And I think that that will only continue to grow this year. I think for a deeper run into the playoffs, uh, you do want to record probably around 20 to 30 sacks on quarterbacks, or at least record close to 50 hurries as well. So you want to see a lot of these hurries turn into sacks, and you want to see more people find their ways into the backfield because, you know, they are losing their leading interceptor, but they do have a secondary still coming back. Uh, Gavin Brewer was somebody who was able to be tied for second in picks with class of 2024 player Ryland Bynum. Those two guys both had three interceptions apiece. And Bynum is not alone in the sophomore class of defensive back who were able to be playmakers for this team. Landon Clay led the team with six pass deflections in the secondary last season. So you get more pressure on the quarterback, you get more sacks, you get more hurries, forcing quarterbacks to make really bad throws to Gavin Brewer, to Ryland Bynum, and then hopefully Landon Clay can convert some of these pass deflections into more interceptions. This is a team that, you know, could be exceeding how many interceptions they had last season, right? And that's something that gets me very excited for this Delta team that I think was very offensively and defensively sound, but has even more upside to be better this year, right? And, you know, talking further on that, uh, Clay Sandridge was second on this team in tackles with 72. And number three tackler, sophomore Tucker Johnson, was second team All-State, and he returns having led the team in tackles for loss with five. So they are losing, like I said earlier, they're losing, I want to say, four of their top six tacklers. But two of those top, the two who are returning were numbers two and three, right? So you do have a sigh of relief there. You do have very physical football players in Clay and Tucker. I mean, those are just like football player names. You feel me? And I think that, you know, they will, this season will look really different. They're in the 2A Southwest now. They're no longer in the 2A West, or at least according to Max Preps, that's what it looks like. And they have a schedule that I think is going to prepare them a little bit better for the playoffs, minus the fact that they are not playing Moffitt County. I wish that they put Moffitt County on here. But, you know, looking at their schedule, their very first game is a home game against University. I think that this is a game where they can avenge, you know, that playoff loss from last year just because of the talent that University is graduating. But, you know, uh, this is a team in the postseason that, you know, I saw Delta potentially beating. And, you know, they lost by a couple of scores. But Ty Reed with some more experience with an offseason of work, hopefully working with a lot of these receivers who did contribute so highly last year, they can expand their offense a lot more. Um, following that, you know, I think that Eagle Valley is going to be a very interesting test for Ty Reed. This, was a, this is a team that runs a multiple kind of hybrid defensive front and one that I'm excited to, you know, kind of dive into at some point. But, you know... 
they they will be a test for Tyreek, but I think talent-wise, Delta should win this game. I think that they should also win this game against Rifle. Overall, talent-wise, I think that they're probably more talented than the Academy. However, the Academy has some pretty stellar athletes on offense that will test this Delta defense and make them pay for any missed tackles that may happen. Uh, once they're in league, I think that they should go 4-0. I think they should beat Pagosa, Salida, Bayfield, and Montezuma-Cortez. Uh, most of these teams were teams that, you know, didn't fare well against heavyweights like Delta last year. But, you know, even if I'm concerned about an Eagle Valley, a game against University, and a game against the Academy, they're still probably at least going two and one of those games. And I think that worst case scenario, out of all these games, say they lose to an Eagle Valley team and university or the academy like i said two and one one and two worst case scenario that still puts them at a six and two record and i think that their window of wins is between six and seven uh depending on who they schedule for another game this could be a team that has one of the top four seeds in the entire 2a tournament but you know the strength of schedule may hold them back so they will have to win big against the academy if they do want to be favored uh, heavily towards that end of the year, kind of, you know, that pre-postseason poll, I should say. And they will have to start off with a very dominant win against University. And on the bright side, they do get to host that game. But that does it for my segment here, talking about the 2A Southwest slash 2A West of last year. And coming up next, Simon Villanos, a.k.a. Coach V, has some more stuff for you. What's good, y'all? Welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. I'm here to talk about a couple teams here. I got four teams to wrap this one up, starting with Ponderosa here last year. They finished 6-4 and four in the regular season, 1-1 one and one in the playoffs. So altogether, they finished 7-5 and five on the season. Here's kind of how their season went down. Um, first off, they started with a tough matchup against a very stacked legend squad who they lost to 42-0, but bounced back with a nice 35-33 close Fort Collins win. Then they beat Chaparral 37-21, then beating Stanley Lake 50-20, and right here is where they really get rolling. I actually went to this next game here. Uh, they beat Vista Peak 21-0, I think that was their homecoming game. Then they beat Air Academy 60-7, lost a close one to Palmer Ridge. If y'all remember, this was the game where they were up by 20 or something crazy like that at halftime, and then Palmer Ridge came back and won this one probably a game they should have won um but regardless still lost but they bounce back beat heritage 57-0 uh lost to vista ridge only 10 to 7 another close game there and then lost to the uh one seed in 4a in montrose 19 to 14 so two very close games there at the end against some teams that you know a lot of people considered contenders there and so ponderosa would make the playoffs they would pull aurora central in the first round i think i remember us picking aurora central for the most part still a relatively close game still beat them 29 to 14 proved us wrong but lost to the eventual state champions in chatfield 31 to 9 and that is how their season ended so altogether not that bad of a year 
If you really look at their performances against some of these uh, better teams, I'm talking Vista Ridge, Montrose, Palmer Ridge, excluding Legend, which, you know, uh, made a pretty deep run in the 5A playoffs. They did a pretty good job, you know, playing some of these teams. And uh, those games against those uh, higher level opponents were definitely games that, you know, we obviously had uh, those other teams favored in by kind of a bit. And for them to keep it pretty close and even have them be winnable games is pretty good. That says a lot about how talented this team was. And so uh, let's talk about some of those players that are leaving slash graduating. Uh, I'm going to start with a transfer here. So their quarterback, they started a freshman quarterback and Andrew Heidel last year. I believe he was... I want to say he was one of our freshman of the year candidates. Um, you know, he threw for 1,498 yards, 16 touchdowns, and 7 picks. He, unfortunately, has moved to Florida. I, at least I believe it's Florida, so he will no longer be over at Ponderosa. And so they will be uh, rolling out another starting quarterback going into this 2022 season. And so that's a pretty big loss. Um, also considering the connection he had with a nice talented freshman receiver down there on Ponderosa as well. That's a pretty tough loss for them. So there you go. But it just doesn't stop there. You know, they're also losing Zachary Pekarik. He, in my opinion, was probably one of their best athletes. Uh, when I got to watch him, I was pretty impressed. He was their lead rusher and one of their top tacklers. He rushed for 735 yards and 9 touchdowns while racking 80 tackles and 2 sacks. Uh, definitely a big loss losing one of their best athletes. If you just look at the film, he's just one of those guys that stuck out. And, you know, when they needed him, they really relied on him, whether it was offense or defense. Now, another guy they're losing is one of their backup running backs, K.J. Bricker. Uh, he was their second leading rusher with 284 yards and five rushing touchdowns. So, you know, that's basically your starting backfield you're losing there. On top of that, they're losing one of their top receivers and Alex Tongren. He was a 6'7 receiver who caught for 597 yards and five touchdowns was definitely considered a big red zone threat you know in the game i watched against vista peak they really wanted to feed him the ball as they should in one-on-one -on -one, and he delivered and so it is extremely hard replacing six seven anywhere on your team but that's definitely a big one um and then on top of that on defense they're probably losing one of their best defenders statistically in Brady Porter. He had 125 tackles, four sacks, and four interceptions on the season. Uh, he was their lead tackler, second sack leader, and interception leader. So statistically, he was their best defensive player by far. And so that's a lot of production to be losing right there and on top of that offensive line wise they are losing one of their tackles and aiden mo he's going to the university of northern colorado sco bears and so uh hopefully looking forward to see him ball out on saturdays but that is a big loss for ponderosa on fridays as obviously he was a d1 level starting lineman it also looks like they're losing at least two other offensive lineman starters and the majority of their or a good chunk of their defensive line as well um, on top of that losing nine of their top 11 tacklers oof that's a lot of your defense and offense that they are 
losing, but let's talk about some key players here because I think Ponderosa will still be okay. Uh, also, they're a pretty relatively well-coached team as well, so I'm not like super worried, but definitely going to have to take a step back here or maybe take a, you know, I mean, compared to last year, take a step back. So let's go ahead and talk about this team here, starting with their freshman receiver, Max Mervin. He had a standout year as a freshman, catching 48 balls for 521 yards and five receiving touchdowns. Going into this year, he is, I would think, the undisputed wideout one and should be a big help for his quarterback. Uh, definitely a guy that could turn up year by year and continue to get better you know the talent is obviously there because uh, you gotta keep in mind you know it was a freshman quarterback throwing to him his freshman year for the majority of that season and so if he could do that with a freshman quarterback you gotta just imagine what he could do with uh you know with an older quarterback so there you go and speaking of an older quarterback it does appear that zach striker will be the next starting quarterback for ponderosa and will take over as a senior. Now, it'll be really interesting because he hasn't had any playing time before. Uh, obviously, Heidel started last year, and then they had a starter the last two years before him. But, you know, now is his chance, and so it'll be interesting to see what he does in his last year of high school football. In my opinion, I never doubt the experience of a senior, especially a quarterback, and so I'm not going to doubt that right here. Look for him to turn up and do some things over there for Ponderosa. Now, these last two players I want to talk about, Ethan Rodriguez and Cape Olsen. Uh, Rodriguez last year had 97 tackles, 15 tackles for losses, and 5 sacks as a junior, while Cape Olsen had 79 tackles and 2 sacks as a junior. Look at this pair of linebackers to lead a relatively inexperienced defense, but a defense that has been, uh, you know, sounding impressive over the offseason. I've heard some good things. Heard they're really fast and strong over there. Maybe a little bit green, but you do have these two linebackers holding it down. You know, they had experience from last year. And, you know, this Ponderosa team, like I said, is usually pretty well coached here defensively. They'll be productive. And so I'm really looking at these two to hold it down on defense. And with that being said, I'm not super concerned about some of the losses on defense because of an Ethan Rodriguez, a Cape Olsen, all that great stuff. All that being said, you know, Ponderosa, they're a very young team. I expect them to have a solid defense and then an offense that probably shouldn't be lagging too much if they do have a senior quarterback out there who, you know, by now should know the system. If he doesn't know the system, then there's issues there. But I would imagine a senior quarterback would master the system as good as he could have by now. And so let's go ahead and predict the record talk window of wins. Uh, Ponderosa does not have an easy schedule at all, by the way. This would have been a hard schedule for last year's team. And so just keep that in mind. But to open the season, they, they play Erie, who was in state last year in 4A. And I'm just going to be honest. I'm going to predict this one as a dub for Erie. This Erie team is really good. Should pretty much pick up from where they left off last year. And I'm... Honestly, probably more concerned about the Ponderosa offense keeping up in this game with Blake Barnett um, and all the weapons he has over there, plus that big offensive line. So, 
I'm going to give that one to Erie. Uh, after that, they play Chaparral. I'll talk about Chaparral later here in this episode. I'm going to give this one to Chaparral, but I'm going to acknowledge that this is probably going to be a really close game. Um, and that it might even be a toss-up game to some but I'm just going to say this. I think Chaparral has a little bit more experience here. They are losing some players. But in my opinion, they're returning more players with playing, well, with varsity playing experience. And so that's why I'm going to give them the dub. Uh, if this game was a little bit later on in the season, I think the, you know, the game might be a little bit different. So there you go. But definitely a close one that I have them dropping here. After that, they play Golden, and I'm actually going to give them the dub here. Uh, they do have Giselle Riley the fourth out there over in Golden, but they're losing from last year. Uh, they're losing their starting running back, uh, their top three receivers, some defensive players. On top of that, they're losing their head coach to Ralston Valley, and so I'm not really sure what to expect from the Golden head coach here. Uh, there's there's definitely a lot of questions, but honestly, you know, Ponderosa, even to win this game, I think they need to still play Giselle Riley fourth tough here. They got to really prepare for him, and I think they'll be ready for him playing the likes of Blake Barnett and Chaparral right before this one. And so I'm also looking at Stryker in the offense to really turn up here. And, you know, maybe not have like an amazing like four touchdown, five touchdown game, but, you know, be able to score two or well, at least three times, I would say. And I think that's very doable for Ponderosa, especially looking at what Golden is returning on defense. And so I'm going to go ahead and give them their first dub here. Will be a hard fought one and should be a close one, though. After that, they play Legend. I'm going to talk about Legend later on in this episode. And so I'm going to go ahead and give Ponderosa the dub here. I just think Legend is losing way too much. And Ponderosa should win this one uh, against a very young team that may be in, a, in an identity crisis. Yeah, we'll see. You know, they got a lot of spots to replace. Like I said, we'll talk about them later. Uh, after that, they play Palmer Ridge, Denver South. I'm predicting both of those as losses. Uh, just both of those teams have just a lot of athletes. Um, a lot more, I think, that are proven and that have a couple years of varsity experience under their belt. And that kind of worries me a little bit considering they're going to be playing a team that is pretty green out here and so even if they had the athletes to match which i'm sure they do you know that's a lot of experience for palmer ridge and denver south over there and so i'm gonna go ahead and give this one to palmer ridge and denver south over ponderosa but after that ponderosa plays vista peak far northeast and thomas jefferson i think all three of those games should be wins um look i mean first off three of those teams are i i believe those three teams are losing a lot of players to begin with but even then i think they would have been able to beat them last year so there you go but uh yeah so three uh, dubs against them then to end the season they play bear creek i think bear creek is just losing a little bit too much here they were a very good program last year but i think this year will be a bit of a rebuilding year and i think i like who ponderosa has over there more than bear creek uh just by a little bit you know uh i think 
it'll be near the end of the season. I think if they're on this win streak, then they're going to have a lot of confidence. And so I'm going to give them the edge here over Bear Creek. And so altogether, my predicted record for Ponderosa is six and four on the season. Uh, I'm giving them a window of wins anywhere between five to seven. Look, this is a team that consistently have productive defenses. And so I'm at the point where I feel like they could definitely be a 500 team or close to it. You know, winning half of their games at least this season. But I'm also intrigued by a more mature quarterback, um, you know, age-wise, throwing to Max Mervin and what that, what that could potentially be. But I wouldn't be surprised if they have some growing pains and, you know, drop a couple more games than I predicted and just barely miss the playoffs here so we'll see about ponderosa like i said real green but you know i think they're still talented enough to at least get to 500 or close to it all right now up next we're gonna talk about a team that played ponderosa last year in legend high school last year they had a pretty historic season one nine and one in the regular season two and one in the playoffs losing to the eventual 5a state champions in cherry creek high school here's how their season went going game by game uh so they went ahead played ponderosa that first game beat them 42-0 then lost to mullen 25 to 21 a little bit of an uncharacteristic game there but bounce back beat smoky hill 35-8 beat mountain vista 34-7 beat westminster 42-8 Beat Pine Creek in a close one, 26-23. Back-to-back um, -back beat Regis Jesuit in another close one, 42-41. Then they beat Douglas County, 49-7. Beat Doherty the same way, 49-7. Beat Chaparral, 45-14. And then won in the playoffs against Rock Canyon, 28-14. That's after their first round bye. And then beat Arapaho in the playoffs, 35-14 uh, as well. Before losing to Cherry Creek, 48 to 14 altogether a very good season this was a team that in my opinion had one of the top offenses in the entire state a team that was just so talented I, the running back Bryce Vaz he made our top five seniors list he was actually number one and he will be going to play for the University of Northern Colorado will probably get snaps as a freshman significant snaps as a freshman over there uh, Jackson Brush he's another top tier receiver yet uh, he's going to be playing D2 ball I want to say but he was our number one senior receiver from last year you also have Brecken Riser uh, he is listed at tight end but I think he's going to play wide receiver on the next level he was our number 5 tight end in the entire state as well last year and then I believe Colton Warner was an honorable mention uh, for our top 5 quarterbacks list and Luke Sandy I want to say made our top 5 interior lineman list either offensive or defense i can't remember he made one of those he could have made both to be honest with you but he's going to be playing d1 ball as well and so those are just a few guys i wanted to throw out there this was a very historic team one of the best teams a legend has ever seen oh sorry and on top of that they're losing nate smith uh definitely a guy that probably could have made our top five safeties list um, but we had him ranked as a corner and you know he played a bit of corner last year and he was a heck of a player heck of a db over there as well for legend and so that's going to be another big loss for this team and so i did talk about a couple graduating seniors look 
I'm just keeping a hundred. So they're losing all those guys, right? But on top of that, they're pretty much losing everyone. If you go ahead and look at their roster from last year, look at their stats, man. They're let me just go down the line here. They're losing everyone who has thrown a, a pass, like at all. So all their quarterbacks, all the people who threw a pass last year are gone. So that's 28 touchdowns um, that are accounted for. They're losing Bryce Vaz, who and and his backup, who accounted for 26 of the 31 rushing touchdowns they had last year. So that's a big, you know, hit there. They're losing their top six receivers, which includes, like I said, Jackson Rush and Breck Riser. That's 26 touchdowns between those six receivers there. Um, like I said, they're losing Luke Sandy, played offensive and defensive line. They're losing Rudy Gish, who was a starting lineman as well. They're losing 10 of their top 11 tacklers, which does include their top three sack leaders. That's 22 sacks gone. Uh, they're losing all the players who got an interception last year, except for one. So that's 16 of 17 interceptions gone. Altogether, they are maybe returning two or three starters from both sides of the ball that's including both sides of the ball there um they're getting hit pretty hard this is going to be a pretty catastrophic reboot not because they don't have talent waiting but because they're losing pretty much all of their proven talent i have not seen another team graduate this many starters on offense and defense because uh, there's just so many touchdowns and stats to be accounted for like i said go ahead and look it up on max preps man it's seniors all the way down uh for most of those stats there and so that's really hard to lose here but let's go ahead and talk about some key players for legend because they do have some players still over there uh one of them Gavin Taylor, he's going to be one of their few returning linemen, uh, will be a junior uh, this year, but last year he contributed 45 tackles and 5 sacks on defense, he'll probably be pretty key to rebuild around on defense here, and so look out for Gavin Taylor. And then I'm going to shout out these two guys here, Alex Martinez and Nate Sandy, uh, they were sophomores last year, but they played running backs, they were the backups. Uh, to Bryce Vaz, um, but I think Alex Martinez is probably going to be the guy who will get the start on the Nate Sandy. He'll be in there as well. I mean, Legend has done this before where they've had plenty of, uh, you know, talented backs rotate in and out there, but uh, look at look to Alex Martinez to really take over. I mean, Martinez he had an 11 carry 86 yard one touchdown game against Westminster so you have a little bit of experience there while Nate Sandy you know he was used sparingly throughout the year obviously being behind a guy like Bryce Vaz and uh, Martinez that's kind of a tough go but he still put up a solid 90 rushing yards doing his thing there so look at those two guys to you know kind of give an identity to this offense to build around and then another guy I do want to shout out is Julian Castro he'll be a returning lineman as a junior uh could definitely see a bigger role moving forward and yeah so those are the guys those are the guys they had on varsity last year that had playing time as little as they did 
Now, I'm going to shout out all these players here uh, because they will be incoming freshmen. They were on this Parker Hawks team, um, this 8th grade Parker Hawks team that was extremely successful throughout their entire time playing together uh, in those two or three years that they were together. You know, I'm talking about that team with Gage Turnbull, Michael Marcinich, Tristan Tafoya, Riken Banks, their star running back. You know, that's going to be a team that is going to... I mean, most of them are basically going to legend. And so that's going to be huge for them. I don't know what their contributions will look like right away. Um, you know, I don't know if they're going to start freshmen or if they want to wait it out or what, whatever, you know, but it's not too far out to believe that they might get opportunities to play sooner than later. If not this year, then maybe next year. You know, and so I do want to shout out the Parker Hawks team because I really loved watching them play. Got to see them play a couple games, um, a couple of their middle school games this last season and was super impressed all around. They had a lot of talent over there and there's plenty of players that I'm missing out on uh, mentioning here too. But those were just the ones that came to mind off the top of my head. So there you go. Not a lot of key players to really talk about here. Like I said... This is going to be an extremely young team. I think Cody was able to talk to the head coach uh, over there because they actually did make it to the final day of 7-on-7s seven for that Broncos thing here in the offseason. And that's pretty impressive to do with a, such a young team, but uh, didn't go super far from there. You could tell they were a little bit too young here. I mean, you know, this is going to be an extremely young team. And, you know... Uh, We'll have to see what happens. You know, there's going to have to be players that have to step up. But as of right now, they aren't established varsity players. They're players that are going to be established as the season goes on. So, all that being said, let's predict this record here. To start the season now, they pull Vista Ridge, Pomona, and Castleview. I think these three games are extremely difficult. Um, as is, but they do have a lot of senior talent, a lot more senior talent than this legend team does. So I'm going to go ahead and chalk these up as losses for legend and, uh, you know, go ahead and favor Vista Ridge, Pomona and Castleview in these games. They just have more seniors, you know, and good seniors at that. And so that's a tough three game stretch to open against, um, so there you go. After that, they play Ponderosa. Talked about Ponderosa last uh, segment there. Uh, this could be a little bit of a toss-up game, like I said. But Ponderosa, they are returning a couple more sure things at this point. I think that Ponderosa could beat them. But I'm just going to keep this door open here. You know, don't be surprised if Legend gets some things going and sneak a dub here against a Ponderosa team that is losing a bit of their own as well so yeah after that they play legacy in my opinion this is another you know a little bit of a toss-up game considering the players they are losing and the players they have over there but uh this will be an extremely young legend team and legacy they are returning some players on offense here some key impact players on offense and so that's why i'm going to go ahead and give them the edge here over legend then they play Chaparral. I'll talk about Chaparral uh, next here. But Chap, uh, they're losing their fair share of elite athletes. But they are returning two very exceptional ones. 
Uh, two who may cause a lot of trouble for this legend team. So I kind of consider this one a close one. But Chaparral, in my opinion, have two legit stars over there. And so I'm going to go ahead and favor them. And then after that, you know, oh my gosh. Legend, they play Fountain Fort Carson, Pine Creek, and Regis Jesuit back to back to back. Uh, look, these teams are playoff teams, contenders, if you want to say that. And I just think at this point, Legend is not quite there. Uh, so yeah. And then they play Douglas County to end the season. I think Douglas County might surprise a lot of people here with the guys they have going into this year. Um, I'm going to talk about Douglas County, not on this episode, but on Monday's episode. So keep an eye out for that. That'll be episode 187 here. But I just think Legend may be able to get something going uh, late here at the end of the season. So this might be a dub here. But Douglas County, they are a pretty solid team out there. They're going to have a pretty solid big three between uh, Lish, Stonebreaker, and Nelson. And so I'm going to go ahead and favor Douglas County here. Even though, you know, if Legend does get something going here near the end of the season, I could see this one uh, ending in a dub for Legend. But for now, you know, on paper, I think Douglas County is just better and more experienced. And so my predicted record, unfortunately, for Legend is 0-10 and 10, with a window of wins anywhere between 0 and 4. Like I said, there are a couple toss-up games there. Uh, look. This team is made up of a lot of unproven talent. While still talented, they have an extremely tough schedule. Uh, and those teams aren't going to go easy on them either. You know, not at all. And so this year should give us a better idea of, of who to look out for moving forward for this Legend team. They most likely won't go winless, in my honest opinion. But I can't see them winning more than three games. And that's kind of just my gut there. You know, there's going to have to be a number of players. Not just two or three. But, you know, six or seven on both sides of the ball that have to step up. You know, and show us something. And, you know, there's... Obviously pressure there, but there's a lot of opportunity for this Legend team. And Legend, you know, they always have a lot of good players come through. You know, I just think right now a lot of those players are just really green. They're either underclassmen or they're just not quite developed yet. But they will be because, like I said, there's going to be a lot of opportunity this season. So I'm excited to see who steps up for Legend moving forward. Let's move on, though, and talk about another 5A team here in Chaparral. Uh, last year, you know, made the playoffs at 5-5, five and five, did lose in the first round. So, technically, you know, their record on the season was 5-6, and six, but don't get it twisted. They still made the playoffs. Uh, let's talk about their schedule, though. So, they beat Eagle Crest to start the season 35-21, beat Rock Canyon in overtime, by the way, 33-30. Then they lost the Ponderosa 37-21. That's kind of a closer game, but against a 4-8 team, so just keep that in mind. Then they lost to Lakewood 27-23. Um, moved on and beat Fairview 28-13. That was the game, I believe, that Grant Page did get hurt, but they still took care of business there. Lost to Regis Jesuit 56-14. Beat Doherty 49-27. Lost Pine Creek 48-21. Then they turned around and beat Douglas County, kind of in a close one though, 35-32 to before losing to Legend in the last game of the regular season, 45-14. to um, Against Fort Collins, they lost to them in the playoffs, 34-20. to 
Now, let's talk about some of the graduating seniors that this Chaparral team had because they had some pretty talented ones, starting with Kylan Wilson. He was easily their best athlete on the team, um, or at least one of them. He played both ways. At quarterback, he passed for 1,608 yards, 18 touchdowns to six picks, while also rushing for 1,064 yards and 14 touchdowns, accounting for, I want to say that's 32 touchdowns at least, um, and that's just him, so there you go. And then on defense, he also led, uh, or was one of the leading tacklers, I don't think he was the leading tackler, but was one of the leading tacklers with 81 tackles, and then co-led in interceptions with four from his DB spot, and so... His production on both sides will be sorely missed. I thought he was for sure a next-level player. I think he will be playing on the next level soon here. And so that's a very tough loss for Chaparral, who really kind of designed their whole offense around him. And then defensively, he was just that guy. Now, another guy they are losing is Francisco Lewis. He was their second leading receiver while also being a big contributor on defense. Uh, he got 20 receptions for 210 yards on offense, but on defense, he had 48 tackles and three interceptions himself. Um, another guy they're losing is James Lawrence. He was a big-time contributor on defense. He went for 62 tackles and a pick. He was one of the top tacklers on this squad. And then last but not least, you have Jeff Freeman. He will be missed on the defensive line as a senior. He produced 59 tackles and six sacks. I believe he led the team in sacks there. Uh, altogether, losing six of their top 11 tacklers. Um, most of those were their lead tacklers, though, so that's kind of tough. And they're also losing a starter or two on the offensive line. So losing a couple pieces here, not, you know, horribly bad, like they're losing a million pieces, but definitely losing a couple here. Now, key players to look out for, I have two to really look out for because I think these two will really turn up. One of them is Braden Monroe. Uh, last year, absolute star at receiver, catching 56 balls for 1,048 yards and 16 touchdowns. While also playing on defense where he was a corner, a uh, huge contributor with 41 tackles and then co-led in picks with Kylan Wilson uh, with four interceptions from his DB spot. And so this 6'3 athlete going into this year will be an absolute star for this team despite the numbers probably inevitably dropping in certain spots um i'm gonna throw this out there i'm not sure if they will you know but i'm gonna throw this out there because i would not be surprised if they do it but he may potentially be moved to quarterback this year in an effort to use him the same way they use kylan wilson just have another great athlete out, out there that could run the ball and throw the ball a little bit Obviously, that would mean he won't be out there to catch it, and so there might be some problems, but if they do decide to go with a, you know, with a greener quarterback, then Braden Monroe will be an absolute star out there and should help out his quarterback a lot. So, there you go. Now, the other guy to really look out here is Camden Vaught. Uh, he will be a senior this year, and he rushed for 393 yards and a touchdown last year. Uh, last year, Kylan Wilson did a lot of work on the ground for this team. And so going into this year, Vaught should get his chances to be the lead rusher. So we'll see how he does and if he does well here, which I think he will. But he also led the team in tackles with 81, and he should be a leader on defense as well. Another great 
two-way player. So those are the two guys to really look out for for Chaparral. I think, uh, and by the way, they'll both be seniors. And so I think they're going to really build around those two guys because they did lose a lot on both sides. So look for that. But let's go ahead and get into the predicted uh, record into their 2022 season. Uh, the Chaparral team is losing a lot. And honestly, I don't know how this offense is going to look without Kylan Wilson. I'm really interested to see if they maybe have a quarterback in, you know, in the wings waiting or if they're going to go with, you know, something like Braden Monroe or Vaught at quarterback and then just kind of run the ball a little bit more. They're using their best athletes and just giving them the ball. And so I'm just throwing that out there. Those are some unknowns. We'll see. But to start the season, they play Smoky Hill and... Look, I want to see what they do with Monroe and Vought, but look, against Smoky Hill, they got some experience there, especially on defense, and then offensively, they're returning their quarterback, who had an excellent playoff game. Go ahead and check that out, if you haven't yet, in Tyleek Bowers. Uh, that's a quarterback that, you know, you kind of got to keep an eye on. He could definitely rip you apart if he wanted to, and I think he's going to take steps going into this season, and so I'm actually going to have them losing to Smoky Hill to start. Uh, this might be a close one, but I'm just not sure what Chaparral is going to roll out to start here, so there you go. After that, they play Rocky Mountain. Uh, look, this Rocky Mountain defense is pretty much losing everyone. So offensively, you know, Chaparral should be able to do some things. But on offense for Rocky Mountain, they're returning a lot of players that are established and could make it really hard for Chaparral if they get into a shootout. You know, I do want to shout out their big left tackle, Ethan Thomason. Uh, he's going to hold it down for their quarterback, uh, who will be a senior quarterback and is a multi-year varsity starter. So... Uh, you know, like, they, if this gets into a shootout, I think that's not a great thing. And uh, I think there might be a chance that it does. And so I'm going to go ahead and give Rocky Mountain the edge here, even though I do think it'll be close. After that, they play Ponderosa. Uh, this may be, this will probably be another close one, but Ponderosa is losing a lot of players here. And I think Chaparral, you know, by this time, they're going to find a way to use their two stars and Vought and Monroe, and they're going to find a way to go ahead and get that uh, done and get their first dub of the season here. So there you go. Uh, after that, they do play Mountain Vista. I think Mountain Vista is going to be excellent this year. And so I just don't think they'll be able to win this game. Would be a little surprised if they do. Then they play Rock Canyon. Um, this game will probably be a closely matched game. Despite both teams losing their share of playmakers. Like significant playmakers. But Rock Canyon is returning more of their defense. And some key parts. Some more key parts of their offense. I mean they run the ball. So you know there you go. And so I have Chaparral losing a close one. You know, Rock Canyon, like I said, they like to run the ball. And if their defense is right, then I think they can make it really tough on Chaparral if they make some mistakes on offense. And they could just bleed out the clock there. So that'll be a tough loss, but definitely a close game. Then they play Thunder Ridge. Oh my god, this Thunder Ridge defense is sounding like they're going to be a top 5 unit in the entire state here. They've had a great offseason, and then they're also returning multiple playmakers on offense. 
I'm going to go ahead and assume by this point, Thunder Ridge is starting their young freshman quarterback, DJ Bordeaux. And, you know, I did get to follow him throughout all of his middle school career. I think he's the real deal. And honestly, I just don't think this is a game Chaparral can win. And honestly, even if DJ wasn't that quarterback, I think this is a game where Thunder Ridge, they just have a lot more defensive players returning that'll, you know, do their thing as they usually do. So there you go. But after that, they play Legend. I think Chaparral should be able to beat Legend. Uh, Legend is facing an even worse rebuild here uh, after graduating pretty much every starter except for like two on uh, you know both that includes both offense and defense and so legend will have some good young incoming pieces don't overlook them but if you're chaparral you know if you're Vaught, if you're Braden monroe you find a way to get it done and get your playmakers the ball and win this game then they played Douglas County. I think this will be another close one, um, kind of similar to last year, but not similar to last year as Douglas County still have a solid core over there, more so than I would say Chaparral does. And so I'm going to go ahead and give Douglas County this one. Wouldn't be surprised if they squeezed uh, this one out, though, but it's just going to be a really tough game. You know, the whoever plays quarterback for Chaparral will have to be on top of their game. Uh, cannot have a bad game by any means. Can't even really have an average game. So there you go. Then to end the season, they play Reach Jesuit, Fountain Fort Carson, Pine Creek. Look, I just don't think there's any way that they could beat those three squads there those three squads are extremely talented in my opinion uh two of those three are contenders and then one is a for sure lock to make the playoffs i guess all three are locks to make the playoffs but you know what i mean there so all together my predicted record for chaparral high school for this 2022 season is two and nine have 11 games scheduled by the way which is interesting um and i'm giving them a window of wins anywhere between two to four this is a rebuilding year, in my opinion. I'd be surprised if they made the playoffs this year. Um, I can't imagine them using Vaught and Monroe the same way they did last year. And so, that might be a wild card. If they could find a way to get a, a, a lot more uh, production out of those two, you know, to really power this offense. But for now, I think they are simply outmatched. I mean, there's going to be some, you know players that'll be able to step up do their thing but as of right now they're unproven and so i'm just a little unsure about that but you know chaparral they do have some stars over there so don't completely overlook them they'll be able to flip some of these games for sure here let's move on though and talk about our final team at least on this episode and that's regis jesuit last year uh in total went eight and four let me go ahead and go down the line here and talk about their schedule uh so to start out this season they played valor christian only lost 24 to 6 bounce back beat highlands ranch 52 17 beat mullen 35 21 beat smoky hill 42 to 7 lost to cherry creek uh 34 14 but then turned around beat chaparral 56 14 um lost to legend in a very close one in a shootout 42 to 41 one point game there but they beat Doherty 56-3, beat Douglas County 34-24, and that kind of leads them here into the playoffs. In the Well, they've had a bye, so there you go. But after that, they played Pomona, um, came away with a very close dub here, 28-21, and then lost to Cherry Creek here in the playoffs, 28-7. Obviously, Cherry Creek went on to win state. 
Oh, and I, I just realized that was only 11 games. They also beat Pine Creek in the regular season, 24-14. to 14. So another quality dub over there. And so a pretty solid season for Regis Jesuit. You know, I kind of we kind of knew what they would be going into last season. We knew they'd have an elite defense, a very good front seven, and then they'd have some guys on the offensive side of the ball. But we're a little, you know, just a little concerned about how green this offense might have been. Um, but let's go ahead and talk about some of these graduating seniors as they do have some very good ones that are leaving starting with their starting running back and lead rusher Xavier Carroll he rushed for 870 yards and 12 touchdowns while on defense also racking up 37 tackles then you're also losing Dallas Macias or Macias sorry excuse me uh he is going to be playing baseball on the next level so there you go but on uh in football you know he was that guy on both sides of the ball. Uh, at receiver, he was their second leading receiver with 19 receptions, 254 yards and a touchdown. Then on defense, was an absolute beast, uh, was their lead tackler with 121 and also had two interceptions for this team. Uh, they're also losing, I believe, a three-star lineman here, defensive lineman and Nuni Tuatelli. Uh, he had 63 tackles, five tackles for losses, 12 sacks. He was the co-leader in sacks, by the way, and 30 hurries. He is committed to the University of California, so he's over at Cal right now. And then they're also losing Ezra uh, Ikuban. He had 25 tackles, three sacks, five tackles for losses. He is graduating. He's going to be playing for the University of Northern Colorado, so that's another D1 guy. Then you also have Jaden Franklin uh, at defensive tackle. He had 59 tackles, 10 tackles for losses, uh, two sacks. Played guard, defensive tackle for this team. Uh, also made our top five interior defensive lineman list. Uh, we'll be playing on the next level as well. And so that's another loss there. Then they're losing uh, Logan Hilliard. He was a starting defensive lineman slash show lineman. He had 53 tackles. And then last but not least, at DB, they are losing Dervin Taylor the third. He had 35 tackles and three interceptions and 13 pass deflections at defensive back. Now, despite losing a lot, a lot of D1 talent, by the way, uh, Regis Jesuit, they're going to have a lot of key players here. A lot of great players that I think are going to step up, starting with Hayden Moore. Uh, their outside linebacker should make up for a lot of the players that are losing on defense. Last year, he went crazy and was, on, and was one of their top tacklers with 111 tackles, 11 tackles for losses, 5 sacks, 9 hurries. Uh, he's absolutely going to be one of the top defensive players, uh, top linebackers in the entire state. So there you go. Probably a D1 guy as well. Uh, so just keep that in mind. They're also returning Albert Anthony. Well, I'm going to call him Anthony Medina as a backup running back. He ran 80 times for 612 yards, seven touchdowns, which is pretty solid. Uh, he's looking to step up as the top guy. He'll be a junior starter this year. And in my opinion, I looked at his film. I think he's an absolute athlete and he could be one of the top running backs in the entire state. I'm going to throw this out there. Vision does need work. I think part of that is because, uh, you know, his rhythm was a little disrupted being a backup. So he's not going to get all those touches like, you know, consecutively in a row that backs need to get into a rhythm. 
But I think uh, this year, as the guy, that vision's going to improve. And he's going to show that he is one of the top running backs in the entire state uh, once he's in rhythm. And so look for him to have a breakout season this year. I'm really high on him. And then another guy I'm pretty high on is Xander Carroll. As a junior, he passed for 1,482 yards, 14 touchdowns to three picks, rushed for 666 yards, eight rushing touchdowns. This is a name to look out for. In my opinion, I absolutely believe he is a next-level athlete, and it'll take talented defenses to shut him down. But going into this year, at quarterback, he needs to have a breakout season for this team in order for them to make a deeper playoff run and potentially go to state. I think something that he really needs to work on uh, and is or has probably worked on this offseason is, is his timing. Uh, on throws he could be a little bit sharper as a passer and so if he does these things and continues to get better like I think he will I think potentially he could be a state level quarterback a state championship level quarterback you know super athletic guy could throw the ball downfield you know saw some really good flashes last year he took care of the ball which I liked you know only through three picks so I'm not even really mad at that and so I think going into this year really look for Xander Carroll to turn up in his senior year I would not be surprised if he led this team to state I'm just gonna throw that out there so there you go now another guy that uh, Regis will have back is DeAndre Barnes uh, he was their top receiver last year he had 645 yards and seven touchdowns and so for him to be back for a senior year after you know that year last year with Xander Carroll that is a very good sign you know that connection should still be there and so um this year I think he should go pretty well over 1,000 receiving yards and 10 touchdowns 10 receiving touchdowns this year and be an absolute threat be an absolute threat as a wideout one now Another guy you do got to look out for, though, is Andrew Metzger. Uh, this three-star tight end is one of the best tight ends in the entire state. Definitely someone that is on our top five senior list uh, or who will be on our top five senior list here. But he's a 6'5", 235-pound tight end committed to the University of Colorado. Uh, last year, only caught 18 balls for 166 yards and two touchdowns. But... Obviously, look for that to go up this year as he takes on a bigger role for this offense. Um, was also a big-time contributor on defense with 51 tackles and four and a half sacks. And so I think he's going to go ahead and replicate some of that. And then last but not least, this is a DB that I want to shout out. That's Joshua Harvey, you know, he's been putting in a lot of work for Regis Jesuit. You know, he uh, sent us some of his numbers and it looks pretty good athletically. And so look for him to be a force in that secondary for Regis. So just keep that in mind. Just keep that name in mind. Uh, so altogether, Regis Jesuit, they are losing a lot of D1 talent. But per usual, they got D1 talent ready to step up here. And I also saw their freshman team from last year. They got a plenty of players to fill in some of these holes here. Uh, so be on the lookout for some, you know, potential sleepers, underclassmen, uh, standout guys that might get some playing time and make some noise here as backup or rotational players. Uh, so there you go. So let me go ahead and predict. Regis Jesuit's record here 
starting with their first game against Valor Christian. This is going to be controversial. This take is going to be controversial. I already know. But I'm predicting Regis Jesuit to beat Valor Christian in that first game. Uh, Valor, they're losing a lot offensively and defensively. Uh, they're losing the quarterback, running back, um, linemen, two linemen that made our top five senior list, by the way. Uh, losing a couple defensive linemen uh, that are going D1. They're losing a safety who made our top five safety list, you know, and they're just losing a lot. Out the, oh, they're losing a linebacker that is playing D1. And so they're losing a lot here. And so. I think Valor is going to be able to retool, rebuild with their new head coach because uh, they lost their last head coach. Uh, but this new head coach, McGatlin, I really like him. But I think to play Regis Jesuit to start the season, I think realistically, Regis could go ahead and win this one and sneak it away here, even though they are playing away here. But Regis needs to come out swinging and not stop until the clock runs down and if they do which i think they can i think they could easily beat valor christian here like i said controversial take but i think valor's kind of on the downswing and regis could really make a statement to start this season don't get it twisted valor has talent this will not be an easy game to win consider it a closer game so there you go after that, they play Oaks Christian. Uh, that's a team out on the West Coast here that Valor played last year. And Valor blew out last year. Uh, I think they go ahead and take care of business here. You know, that team, I took a look at them. They weren't overly impressive. They have some talent over there. But I think this is a game we just should win. After that, they come back home. They play Arapaho. Arapaho, they're losing a lot of players. Their graduation class was pretty large, and so I think Regis should go ahead and take care of Arapaho, especially with them losing their D1 line. So there you go. Um, then they play Ralston Valley. I think Ralston Valley is a very interesting team. They'll have a new head coach coming from Golden who runs more of a spread offense. You know, and if you know Ralston Valley, they love to run the ball in that little wing tee or whatever it is, you know, uh, stack it up and run it. And so two very different offenses here between the spread and, uh, and that. And it's not that I don't think Ralston Valley has the tools to be a dominant spread team. I think they do, but I'm still not sure what to expect in this first year from their first year head coach over there at Ralston Valley. And so I'm going to favor Regis Jesuit in this one, but it's probably still going to be a tough physical type of game. Just look out for this one. This might be a game that might be flipped. I'm just not really sure to, what to expect from Ralston Valley. And that's, that's more of a good thing than a bad thing, to be honest with you. Um, after that, they play Cherry Creek. I don't think they're going to beat Cherry Creek in this one. I think it might be a close game, but Cherry Creek, man, I mean, they got a D1 defense, basically. Uh, offense is going to look good. We'll see who they roll out at quarterback, but Cherry Creek, I think their defense is easily the best in the entire state, and um, that's on any level. So, yeah. After that, they play Douglas County. They should be Douglas County. Take care of business. Should not be as close of a game as it was last year. I'm just going to throw that out there. So there you go. Then I have them losing a close one. And I mean a close one to Pine Creek here. 
This one could easily be flipped, especially if this offense is on fire at this point in the season. If this offense is like rolling at this point in the season, then I'd pick like in the moment i would probably pick regis jesuit over pine creek but for now i think pine creek has an extremely tough offensive line d1 line and a lot of talent any everywhere this will be an absolute battle just like it was last year so um look out for this one that's a good game to look out for for sure then their last three games of the season is against chaparral legend and fans of fort carson i think they should defeat all three of those teams but that fountain for carson game at the end might be a trap game so be careful there they have a very good defense uh but i still think regis jesuit should beat them and so altogether my predicted record for regis jesuit is eight and two on the season with a window of wins anywhere between seven to nine i think this regis team is much stronger than some teams may be expecting um i believe they're a playoff team uh, that could secure a first round bye. Now just how good this team can be will depend on their offense and how explosive they are this season. If that offense is the real deal, then they should take care of business in some of these games against opponents like Valor, Cherry Creek, and Pine Creek. I think those games will be very, very telling, uh, but we'll see. You know, I'm really excited for this Regis Jesuit team. I think they're for sure a contender, and we'll see how this uh, next 2022 season turns out for them. But anyways, there you go. That'll wrap up this episode of the Playmakers Corner Podcast. Thank you so much for rocking with us. If you want to know when more episodes are going to drop or when they have dropped, go ahead and follow us. Show some love on social media at Playmakers Corner on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, as well uh we were posting content over there and so you'll see when episodes are dropped based on the tiktoks that drop at the time and then go ahead and follow us subscribe uh to our youtube channel and our twitch account as well we'll be doing live streams uh cody and i will for sure be doing live streams of some of these teams for their season preview so kind of just keep an eye out for that and uh, in case you missed the live stream for any reason, it will be uploaded on YouTube, full, unedited, there for you to view. So there you go. Thank you so much for rocking with us. We're going to preview every 11-man football team here in the state of Colorado before the 22 uh, season here. And we're really excited to cover this upcoming 2022 Colorado high school football season. But until then, we'll see you later.